It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 205, The Death of King Jehoiakim and the Reign of King Jehoiachin. Meanwhile, back in Judah, Jehoiakim continues his foolish rule, ignoring the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Imagine the news when Jehoiakim learns the news that his kin, Daniel, was now the governor of the province of Babylon. Almost hard to fathom news, but Daniel the 13-year-old ruled over Babylon as its governor. Daniel probably had the maturity of an 18-year-old at this stage due to his life challenges, but he was still a young man for sure. But I get the feel Jehoiakim and others just discounted the news because it was too difficult to understand. And one thing to note that Daniel didn't influence Nebuchadnezzar's geopolitical ambitions, and he didn't have any real influence on the Babylonian army. He was an administrator. He conducted civil affairs. He managed building projects, citywide concerns, collected taxes, and oversaw the administration of justice. And he did it very well, gaining an exceptional reputation. But unfortunately, he's not going to have an influence on Nebuchadnezzar um, and his uh, reactions or his treatment of his countrymen back in Jerusalem. So back in Judah... I want to give a little perspective. We don't know for sure because the Bible spends most of its word footage on the question of why, not granulars for battle scenes and numbers and counts of populations for sieges, but but I want to go there to give some perspective. And we don't know for sure, but I want to keep a tally to give perspective. Going with an educated guess that Judah has a population of around 250,000 around the time of Nebuchadnezzar's first capture of the country. The population starts to decline slowly until it just plummets. And the first to suffer, like usual, is the country population. As Nebuchadnezzar conquers the land, it appears he abandons it to self-government, but without a military presence allowing raiding parties to crush the small villages and towns. And this is when the Naomi's of the world evacuate the small towns from the small towns to Egypt and other areas. And the rest of them would have moved to Jerusalem, cramming the fortress town. And this drop in the rural population could have lowered the population to around 200,000 by the time of the next scene. Now Jehoiakim cannot escape from his sin and his lack of common sense. And in a season of the country, countries resetting themselves and boundary resets, he lacks humility to God. He may seem... To have it soon with Nebuchadnezzar, but this is more of a power play, picking the lesser of two evils. And in the meantime, Jehoiakim loves the attention of Egypt and welcomes it. And when Egypt demonstrates they're willing to fight Babylon, his favor leans towards them. And six years after Daniel's interpretations of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the geopolitical situation starts to get messy. The last time Nebuchadnezzar was on the offensive, He never actually took Egypt. He routed their armies, but he didn't conquer Egypt proper. Yet he captured Judah and placed it as a buffer between Egypt and Babylon. 
But this buffer Judah becomes a hot seat of rebellion for him. So the biblical trans transition between Jehoiakim to his son Jehoiachin commanding the throne appears pretty seamless, but Josephus adds a lot. And according to Josephus, he adds a lot of detail here, and there's a whole lot of jockeying for power between the powers that be. And Jehoiakim is swaying between Egypt and Babylon, and he no doubt is receiving expensive gifts from Egypt, and Egypt is continually courting him to their favor. Thus Jehoiakim cut off paying his tribute money to Babylon, infuriating Nebuchadnezzar. And this was the equivalent of a declaration of war to, to crazy Nebuchadnezzar. And further, as an Egyptian military expedition was let out, this encouraged Jehoiakim to cut further ties with Babylon. And when Nebuchadnezzar learns all of this, he marches his army west. And quickly the Egyptian army flees, and Jehoiakim is left with no Egypt to support him. Jehoiakim, wicked Jehoiakim, fears for his life. And when Nebuchadnezzar shows up, Jehoiakim pleads mercy, and according to Josephus, he truly fears for his life and the predications of Jeremiah, and he opens the gates and pleads for mercy, which fails to manifest itself, and a slaughter ensues. Here is Josephus' account. Now a little time afterwards, the king of Babylon made an expedition against Jehoiakim, whom he received, and this out of fear of the foregoing predictions of this prophet, as supposing he would suffer nothing that was terrible, because he neither shut the gates nor fought against him. Yet when he came against the city, he did not observe the covenants which he had made. But he slew such that were in the flower of their age, and such as were of the greatest dignity, together with their king Jehoiakim, who he commanded to be thrown before the walls without any burial, and made his son Jehoiachin, king of the country, and of the city. And he also took the principal persons in dignity for captives, three thousand in number, and led them away to Babylon, among which was the prophet Ezekiel, who was then but young. And this was the end of the king Jehoiakim, who, who had lived thirty-six years, and of them reigned eleven. Remember Jeremiah's prophecy that he would die like a nobody and lack proper burial. This was fulfilled as he was thrown from the walls, potentially hundreds of feet down to the ground. His life snuffed out as quickly as the lives that he took and his rule. By the destruction, it appears to be one of those situations where Nebuchadnezzar allowed his troops to not have any controls, and they went forth in the city, killing and conducting a violent spree, looting the city, slewing as such were the flower of their age, as Josephus said. And such were the greatest dignity. And those of military age seemed to be singled out as well as much of the royal family. And Nebuchadnezzar hauled off more of the royal treasures. Jeremiah, of course, watched it all go down with tears in his eyes. Thousands died in this event. Let's say another 25,000 died, leaving around 175,000 people in or around Jerusalem in the countryside. And over the next year, more went abandoned the country. A much-reduced, poor, poverty-stricken country now stuck with the new king, for its current king was thrown from the walls. And with this, Nebuchadnezzar takes Jerusalem the second time. He appoints Jehoiakim's son to be king. And it's super interesting, Josephus is something um, that after three months, regretting that he made Jehoiachin king of Jerusalem, personally fearing a grudge he would have had since he killed his father, Josephus continues, 
But a terror seized on the king of Babylon, which had given the kingdom to Jehoiachin, and that immediately he was afraid that he should bear him a grudge because of the killing of his father, and thereupon should make the country revolt from him. Wherefore he sent his army, besieged Jehoiachin in Jerusalem, but because he was of gentle and just disposition, he did not desire to see the city endangered on his account. But he took his mother and kindred, and delivered them to the commander sent by the king of Babylon, and accepted of their oaths, that neither should they suffer any harm or the city. But their agreement didn't last a year. Paranoid, violent, and mentally troubled Nebuchadnezzar, he changes his mind. Josephus continues, Which agreement they did not observe for a single year, for the king of Babylon did not keep it, but gave orders to his generals to take all that were in the city captives, both the youth and the handy craftsmen, and bring them bound to him. Their number was 10,832, as also Jehoiachin and his mother and friends. And when they were brought to him, he kept them in custody and appointed Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah to be king and made him take an oath that he would certainly keep the kingdom for him and make no innovation nor have any league of friendship with the Egyptians. So now Nebuchadnezzar takes away 10,000 of its artisans, literate tradesmen, to punish Jerusalem, and better yet, cheap labor for his city projects in Babylon. The biblical account, with all of its soldiers as well, dropping the population to well under 150,000 for the whole country. Here is the biblical account, 2 Kings 24.10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city with his servants while they were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother, his servants and officials and their palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon king of Israel had made, as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem, and all the officials, and all the mighty men of valor, ten thousand captains, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, the chief men of the land. He took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000 of all them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Nebuchadnezzar is depopulating Judah, leaving the poorest in the land left to fend for themselves. And he makes the king's uncle Zedekiah king over the land, adding starvation and those who abandon Israel and move to their neighbors. Zedekiah probably has a miserable population of around 100,000 in his nation state. A far cry from the enormous population bases of Solomon's reign. Now Jehoiachin was only king for three months and some additional time that he had in between where he was negotiating with Nebuchadnezzar and had a pseudo-alliance. But in the end, Nebuchadnezzar changes his mind and depopulates Judah, further taking away its ability to wage war, 
the artisans, the specialists, um, those who are even literate, they're probably out of the country. It's this 10,000 that were exported to Babylon that become the basis of the Babylonian, the Jewish Babylonian ghetto that some refer to it there. But, but there is more. There is these specialist workers, the craftsmen, the metal workers, the 7,000 soldiers that get absorbed in the Babylonian army that generally most refer to, and, and they even see references in the history books that there's the 10,000 of the survivors of Judah. And they're now based in Babylon. These are the ones that are going to carry the history. Well, Daniel becomes their benefactor in Babylon. His incredible influence leads to substantial promotions for these specialists. And hedonistic Babylon becomes staffed and manned with key positions filled by Israel's artisans and laborers, soldiers that worship God. As for Nebuchadnezzar, he would march his army to Egypt and deal with Egypt and crush them in many battles, but he would not invade or keep his forces in Egypt. Uh, this will come later. And picture with me, uh, Nebuchadnezzar marches his army back to Babylon, and they celebrate a great victory that he subjugated Judah and he's defeated Egypt again. And now he starts to build up Babylon more and more as a centerpiece of his empire. And Nebuchadnezzar was determined to decorate his, his city, his capital, to reveal to the world that he was the head of the gold empire, as described in his prophetic dream. So let's conclude this episode with a look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah cried when he saw uh, many killed in the streets and hauled off to Babylon, while some of his friends were even taken away. He cried when the temple was looted, and even when Jehoiakim was thrown unceremoniously off the high walls of Jerusalem in direct fulfillment of his words. He cried out of despair because he had already seen it happen, and they didn't listen. They didn't listen to his cries. He was terrified at what he had seen. He was disturbed in his heart, and before his mourning was half complete, he started to have more visions and more words. And more was coming, more was coming, and the visions in his head revealed the greatest of tragedies had not yet occurred. With tears and severe pain in his heart, Jeremiah would start to record more of these visions and more of these words, and when the king found his seat and the dust settled from the torments of the past months, he again would step up to the city gate at the pillars of the temple or in the palace and proclaim the words of God, Repent, for destruction is coming. It's not over, Israel. It's not over. Repent. What's left of Zion must repent. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.